Look at them, madame. Have you ever in your entire life seen anything so beautiful? I'm sorry, I don't know anything about stamps. Oh. This is the gentle art of philately, otherwise known as stamp collecting. Here's a pile of stamps carefully culled from swap meets and garage sales. Rupert, what are you thinking of? Oh, I was just thinking of all the years I've wasted collecting stamps. Oh, like stamp collecting. Now, that's all right. That's quite a nice hobby, that. Yes, but it's not enough. Don't you understand? I'm lonely. I'm so terribly lonely. All right, Homer. You beat those stamp Nazis with good old-fashioned American complaining. Oh, if it weren't for you, we'd be at the mercy of weekend philatelists. You know, why didn't you just say stamp collectors? Because I'm tired of dumbing myself down for you. From Spain and two from Japan I got a couple from Israel and Azerbaijan I got a plenty from Poland but none from Sudan Or from Fiji or Uzbekistan Stamp collecting happens when we dream together Live from the 3M Copier Repair Center This is the award-winning stamp show here today Episode number 298 We're going to hit... Number 300. Huh. What, what do we need to do for uh, 300? It's got to be a special event. Uh, I think we should uh, call for a um, uh, call for Bronson Alta to sponsor this <laughs> podcast, or we will uh, or, or we'll boycott them and 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 uh, yeah, <laughs> only buy that clear stuff. I think we should. Uh, I think we should have a semi-official with the money going to PS to Southern Nevada, Philadelphia, oh. <laughs> <laughs> or make our make our own semi-official. Yeah, there we go. We'll we'll make a 300th episode stamp. We could do that. I think that that would actually. I think that that would actually go, and we could actually have we could have caches and cancels yeah. and everything. Anyway, we are brought to you by the Southern Nevada Philatelic Research Center and nonprofit 501c3 Corporation for the advancement of philately. And this is Cash. This is Mark. This is Albert. So uh, we are continuing our expert series. Um, at PSE here, we are seeing more of these show up over the last couple of years. So, Albert, what is the last inkjet or uh, laser-printed item that you saw that you advertised lately? Um, I've seen both uh, uh, several canal zone stamps. Uh, anything with overprints is, is a is a ready victim for these uh, for inkjet or uh, laser printing. And I've seen uh, I saw at a gentleman's office uh, in New York within the last 18 months a uh, strip of three of the One Cent Franklin uh, 1911 issue with Dara overprints, except the Dara overprints were counterfeit. And they had gotten a genuine certificate from another expert committee. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've seen uh, some, a couple fake cancels. Uh, I've seen a lot of caches done after the fact. People buy uncached cover and then cache them. Uh, I've also seen some postage coming through where they were printing it and uh, faked it on a computer, stuck it on an envelope, and it went through the mail. As a matter of fact, we expertized one, and this was sent by a philatelist who shall, for obvious reasons, remain nameless. And uh, he covered this envelope with 55 cents, you know, some three cent stamps, eight cent stamps and stuff. 
and a person submitted the cover to us and there was a 16 cent stamp that was printed on a uh, I'm not sure whether it was an inkjet or a laser jet and we're going to discuss the differences between the two because they are expertized in different ways but he wanted a certificate on it to show that it was indeed a fake stamp and so I thought that was rather interesting. Um, so, and I don't think that that's really a uh, a new kind of phenomenon. A, a, a year, a couple of years ago, we ran into the um, uh, the uh, uh, red and white forever stamp, the love stamp. Mm-hmm. Um, that were we had a whole stack of them that were printed uh, uh, fraudulently, and we discovered under close examination that the that the counterfeit stamps had a much higher quality printing than the genuine stamps. <laughs> yes. So it, it, it's really scary because some of these, you know, some of these laser printer, laser copiers are so fine uh, in their technology that, uh, you know, that it could be almost indistinguishable between the stuff that, that that's being generated by USPS. Well, let's just talk about the history of counterfeiting stamps. Counterfeited stamps have existed almost as early as as the 1840 year date for the first official stamp, which is the British penny black. Um, we know that they we know that as we know as early as in the late 1850s in Germany and in France they were making lithographic copies of these stamps, and that uh, there was a there was a, a guy that actually sold under the name uh, Le Facsimile. <laughs> and uh, and there are a num- there are a number of there are a number of stamps among them a lot number of the uh, U.S. newspaper and periodical stamps that are, that are printed not with not not with flat press but are printed uh, uh, printed with uh, with a stone so it's lithographed and a number of them do have uh, the word facsimile or false on them except except people to defraud. They uh, they put fake cancels over the facsimile mm-hmm. and hand stamp or the false hand stamp, um, and then uh, take for instance the the great uh, the great fortress Sparati. He was caught during World War II. He was he was Spanish and he was caught allegedly uh, uh, breaking the French import laws, and he was going to be sentenced to a term of around 30 or 35 years because of the value of the stamps that he brought in. And he actually had the, the French government brought in a famous uh, philatelist named Mullins, to uh, and who testified that the stamps were absolutely genuine. Well, Sprotty said, "Well, if you let me have my stuff, I'll prove that these are all these were all counterfeits." So he had literally had one or two days, and he produced more stamps that were actually that were absolutely uh, lithographic counterfeits, and so he was sentenced to a much milder <laughs> sentence. And then later on, the, the BPA ended up buying all his plates and printing a set of books from it. Mm. Uh, but we know, um, but certainly uh, among the famous, the famous fakes he made were on the Tencent 1847 issue. Uh, U.S. number two. Right, and also the... Uh, Which is worth more as a Sparati fake than as an original in a lot of cases. And, and that stamp is distinguished because it has a little, it has something called a spur and so we call that the Sparati Spur. Yeah. And then he made fakes of 9X1s. Um, we know that he made fakes of uh, a number of the Hawaiian numerals and also the 50-cent uh, uh, 
for some reason he liked to fake the 50 cent maybe he had just a really good plate that he had made up but the 50 cent uh, scott number 48 uh hawaii stamp the and uh uh, also, the ten cent spelled C E N T, right? Uh, Confederate state, right? And Scott number eight, Scott number nine. I'm sorry. And also, the one that really is intriguing to me is he faked a bunch of stamps from uh, Uruguay, and those I think he was just practicing on stuff because they weren't really high in demand at the time. But those are the interesting ones because it's a rare stamp that has a very low catalog value. And you can find the Sparatis in that because he, it was more like sort of a uh, advertisement. Look what I can do. All I can tell you is, is that a set of a full set of his plates is still a relatively expensive group of things to buy. They get offered about once every year somewhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, the, I saw a set being offered in Germany, and I think the upset price was was pretty substantial. If I remember correctly. Uh, there was one book that sold for, I think, $70,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's a lot. I mean, I, I, bought, I, bought, uh, I bought my Sparati uh, fake of the Hawaii number 22 years ago and paid $400 for it. Yep. And I think I bought my fake of the Hawaii number 15 numeral for about the same amount. And then I found, and then ironically, looking through a large lot, I bought a fake 50 center. <laughs> and, I, and the way that you can tell, among other things, is it's printed with lithography. So it was, it was flat and greasy is the only way to describe it. It didn't, ha- it didn't have the raised lines of uh, intaglio. And that's really, uh, in the olden days, they made highly detailed stamps because highly detailed stamps were hard to counterfeit. Today, highly detailed stamps are not hard to counterfeit because we have different photogravure ways of duplicating images. So there, and we've discussed before that the post office is being ripped off. The post office needs to find some interesting way to print stamps where it isn't easily fakeable. I don't understand why they don't take a page from the Bureau of Engraving and Printing and, and add a couple of different uh, uh, counterfeit, anti-counterfeit measures that would at least make it much harder. Yep. I mean, our paper money is certainly still gets counterfeited, but it's much easier to tell. Oh, yeah. Especially with, especially with some of the negative watermarks and the uh, hologram and things like that. Well, that's the thing. You could have a hologram strip. But the other thing that uh, the, the $100 bill has, which everybody can see very easily, is if you look at the 100 in the corners, as you turn them, they're slightly... It's not holographic. I, uh, what's it's color changing? Like, yeah, yeah, it changes from orange to green. Mm-hmm. And I forget what the name of that I think is. It's dichromic or something it's like some, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you, you could very easily do that with a stamp where. Yeah, that's know, not lenticular, though. Cause lenticular no, it's not lenticular. Plastic. Lenticular yeah. is different. Yeah. But uh, I, yeah, I forget what it is. But anyway, you could do like the word US and the value in that. Two color sort of thing, so you can easily tell if it's fake, and the printers are going to have a tough time faking that. In the old days, when the postal service was a division of the government, 
if you've counterfeited a stamp, um, you were chased by as much as uh, by the postal inspectors, but you were also chased occasionally by the Secret Service. Yeah. Nowadays, because it were, it's a, it's only a, it's only a semi-official organization. I don't know if they have the legal rights that they had when they were a member of the U.S. government. I remember I remember a case in the '60s where uh, somebody was making counterfeits and was actually imprisoned for a substantial number of years because uh, people in those days could actually send a portion of their mail order in stamps. Yep. I mean, even a, a, a huge mail order company like Spiegel in Chicago used to take in at least 25% of an order. You sent them, uh, if you ordered 100 and sent them $25 for the stamps with a check for 75 they were happy with that. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because uh, you have the U.S. bond stamps. And so now if you counterfeited those, yeah, of course, we don't use stamps anymore for our bonds and things. But you are actually counterfeiting U.S. currency because a $5 bond stamp is worth $5. Now, you know, a $5 stamp is worth $5 in postage. It's worth a service, so it's a different thing. Yeah. So, so with, um, um, so I've seen, I've seen, so overprints are among the stamps that are most likely to be counterfeited with this new technology. Um, I know that we've had many great, many great people who have made counterfeit overprints in the past. Um, the famous book that was published by the American Philatelic Society, The Yucatan Affair, about the guy, the forger, uh, Raoul Duthuin. Um, when they when they bought him out or whatever it was in Merida, I mean they he had all his overprint material right there, and it was it's photoed in the book, and was photoed in the original article, the American Philatelist in '66. Yep. So, uh, but uh, I've seen I've seen some scary fakes made with uh, uh, mostly with uh, with uh, with some sort of a laser printer of overprints of both the flat A and the pointed A canal zone stamps, the U.S. issues. And I've seen, uh, I've seen a number of Shanghai overprints with fake overprints. Now, there are a number of fake overprints that are just rubber stamps. Yeah. But, but these, are, these are some very good things. And then we're also, the other problem that we're seeing is, is that when a stamp is more valuable used than unused, we're seeing fake cancels applied. And those are actually very, very well done and very difficult to tell unless you actually put, take that cancel and look at it under a microscope under pretty high magnification to, to see how the, how the printing was actually produced. Well, the problem with modern stamps is that they basically use an inkjet printer. Uh, they spray on the ink on the cancels. That's why if you get in a recent stamp and you put it in Ronsonol, the uh, cancellation sort of gets all blurry. It doesn't wash off, but it gets blurry. That's because they are using basically an inkjet printer to put these cancellations on. So, you know, 50 years from now or 75 years from now, uh, if we're still on this podcast, uh, we'll be discussing, oh, yeah, I remember the day that they were doing this and here's how we tell the fakes. Which, by the way, how do you tell the fake? How did you differentiate those uh, fake overprints? Well, a lot of them are just simply just being able to, um, I expose these under ultraviolet light and the ink is wrong. And also the way that the ink is actually, the, the, 
on a on an overprint that's made like the canal zone stamps, the uh, there's actually a welling effect that that regular regular print ink creates. It actually pre creates little edges that you can see under the mi under a microscope. You don't get that you don't get that with either uh, inkjet laser any laser anything because it's very flat. So you don't have that, and it also doesn't indent the stamp, which is one of the other ways that you can tell. If it's actually been hit with a letter press, the, the letters actually indent into the paper. Um, that's one of the other ways that you, you, you actually authenticate Hawaiian numerals, for instance, is that the lead lines, the heavy lead lines in between the letters, they actually bite into the paper. And so all the counterfeits don't have that. So a good magnifying glass is one of the quintessential tools for detecting Pro fake overprints. Probably, probably since it's very hard to use anything over about a 20-power glass, probably an inexpensive microscope or one of those, the, uh, the digital microscope that you were talking about in the previous program is, is, actually, is actually a very good product to, to to work with and dang it they still haven't contacted us to be a sponsor on this show hey coolertronic i'm pumping your equipment out here Say, uh, throw us a bone yeah before we cancel you yeah <laughs> now, yeah modern, modern stamps are, um, are are harder to detect because the printing uh, processes are the same like you said they're basically inkjet but what the fakers uh, um, either fail to do or don't bother to do is to print the tagging and so that's how you can tell a uh, a USPS product from a, from a counterfeit, uh, and it's not under the regular UV light like uh, the kind that they sell to to find scorpions at night. It's a short wave UV, so it's a different wavelength, um, and so you have to have kind of a specialized lamp to to, to see the tagging. Um, so that makes it harder to detect. Um, well, you know. one thing also that uh, Albert you brought up is um, making rubber stamps. Making a rubber stamp is kind of difficult. Printing something on a laser printer is relatively easy. And that's one of the things that we saw with, like you were, uh, bring, like what you brought up earlier, where a uh, U-stamp is more valuable than a mint stamp, is people will print a cancel on it, and again, we'll discuss how to detect those, or they'll make a rubber stamp, Neither of which is how they made cancels. The canceling device almost always, except if you get really, you know, into the 1800s, it was always a metal device. So if you see a rubber device that is making a cancel, it's fake. Uh, metal devices, how you can tell, like uh, Albert just said, is the ink sort of makes an edge. It makes an outline of it. It's going to have pressure as the ink gets pushed out to the sides. So it's going to be thicker on the edges, noticeably thicker on the edges than it is like in the center of the lettering. If you see one where that doesn't exist, it's probably a rubber stamp or it's laser jet. And one thing that I want to point out with, there's a difference between ink jets and laser jets. A, and both of them are used as fake stuff. But a laser jet will always have a really high sheen sort of glossy ink to it. Laser jets, jets might not. But an ink jet will, or excuse me, vice versa. 
An inkjet might not, but a laser jet will always have this very fine, very shiny black ink. Yeah, because the ink is um, is heated uh, after it's applied. So the, the toner is applied, then it goes through a, a high heat process in order to affix the, the ink to the paper. Whereas an inkjet sort of is the same, except that there is a certain amount of air drying that occurs, and uh, that will sort of kind of mask the shininess but you can still tell there was a there was a very interesting group of counterfeit covers that came out uh recently that uh, uh that victimized a couple of very experienced dealers and collectors for a short time um there was a lot that was sold at a john bull sale uh i guess it was around 2018 that uh that had the uh, the Chinese dragon stamps on it, and uh, and these covers appeared with U.S. stamps placed over or on the edges of the dragon stamps with fake cancellations on them, mm. and uh, um, a couple of a couple of very well-known postal history dealers were embarrassed about that uh, <laughs> later on. But they but there was an alert that came that uh, the excuse me, that the Collectors Club of New York put out about these covers. And I had seen I had seen the covers, but I had never seen any of these stamps overlapped in all the years that I've been buying them. And so when I had seen one, I said, this isn't any good. And uh, so um, that's an example of where somebody used this modern printing technology to, to put fake cancels on there. And they just didn't have enough expertise to know that you don't overlap the stamps. Yeah. Well, the uh, fake cancels, especially fake fancy cancels, and fake stamps have been made for, you know, since 1840. You know, they're just always out there. But it always took a high level of skill to do it well, effectively. Un unfortunately, some of our, some people who had great knowledge um, and were, were, Great dealers and collectors at the time, um, John A. Fox, who was a, who was at one time the president of the American Stamp Dealers Association, um, he made any number of fakes because he got into counter. He got yeah. into financial trouble in the early '60s. He lost a, he lost a major uh, court case um, by undervaluing a Confederate collection, and he owed triple damages. So uh, there are. There are tons of fake patriotic covers, fake Confederate covers, fake uh, 1847 through uh, uh, through 1869 covers that he made, and because of his knowledge, um, they're hard to they're hard to catch. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you catch them by the style of the writing. Sometimes it's just uh, it's it might be an, it might be like a patriotic a cachet that we don't know. Uh, yeah, we don't we don't have any real genuine used copies of it. But I've been—I'd be the first one to tell you—I've been taken a couple of times, but not taken. I've put the lots on extension in an auction, yeah. and they bounce, and I go, "What did I miss?" So um, that's a person that 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 certainly did it. The harsh part, though, is now instead of having to be that level, you can just be a person with a computer. And that's why people have to watch out for this stuff. Oh, fake overprints have been around forever. Now everybody can do them. It's sort of like making a coil stamp. 
you know, faking a coil. You get a pair of scissors and you cut the perfs off. Well, there's a lot of ways to detect that. You know, we, you're not going to fool any expert by just chopping the perforations. We are going to make it here today so that nobody gets fooled by laser jet and inkjet overprints. Yeah, but the second thing is you were talking about uh, caches. On a inkjet and a laser jet, if you blow it up, it's made up of small dots. And the dots almost never, dots are made up of three colors. The odds of them lining up perfectly is zero. So you will see the dots and you will see the around, let's say you're looking at a brown dot. You might see on the edge some yellow showing, meaning that they didn't use browning. They used the three color and printed it. So you can always see these. It's impossible really to fake that, but you need to be aware of it and you need to put it under a large enough microscope. You know, a 10 power ain't going to do it. You got a, you know, like a digital microscope or something like that. And then you look at it and it's like 100% of the time you'll catch it. Yeah, I found personally anywhere from 30 to 50 powers is what I can, Yeah, well, can, I'll catch the dots. But sometimes you, you need that much. So that's why, that's why that, that digital microscope is actually very useful. Coolertronics, give us a friggin' uh, something. You don't have to pay us. Just give us a thank you note. Yeah. <laughs> a gift certificate to Del Taco. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, so let's make pretend that we want to fake something. How would we fake a U.S. number two? Well, you have to have the paper. So get some old paper. Right. Yeah, you start with the paper. That's actually kind of easy to get because you could just get an old letter, or you could get or a, a, a lot, a lot of the lot of the a lot of the fake numerals, the uh, the late paper and all that. You tear out you tear out the inner pages of a Bible, yep. an old Bible. There you go. So we got the paper. We got it from an old Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have to have a nice scan of a of a number two. Unfortunately, um, uh, auction companies like Siegel provide really excellent scans. Okay, so we'll steal a picture from Siegel. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you have to have some kind of program like Photoshop to size the uh, the image to the exact size of the stamp? Okay. Uh, and then you have to have a uh, either a laser printer or uh, or an inkjet printer. I'd say an inkjet for this. Right. Yeah, you'd want to use an inkjet. You would. You don't want any dots. And um, maybe you uh, apply the uh, paper to um, to a larger piece of paper um, with some uh, some of that uh, 3M contact glue, so it doesn't move around, and run it through. Print it up. And then how would we detect that that was fake? Uh, well, the paper is really difficult to fake. Yeah, I mean it's it's a uh, you know the the. It, it's very well known the the papers that that that, that stamps are printed on, so um, so it, it could it could easily fool a novice, but uh, but an expert could could pick it up you know pretty quickly. Uh, a lot of times it, it's sort of like uh, when you're a cashier, you handle money every day. Uh, when you get a counterfeit bill, uh, you recognize the paper without even looking at it. You you know the feel. 
Yeah. So, uh, so an expert handling money is is the same as an expert that that looks at stamps every day. Also, a thing we would want to put a fake cancel on it because a mint U.S. number two would get a lot higher scrutiny than a used number two, especially with a some sort of New York square grid or something like that. Yeah. The most, the, one of the more from, from a cancel from one of the more common cities: New York, Boston, Philadelphia. Well, actually, I wouldn't even do that. I would go down to Home Depot, and I would get one of the cancels that looks, you know, like a, a just a round sort of target. And that would be a nice little rubber stamp. And so I would get the red ink, and I'd give it a nice red cancel smack on it so it looks used. I'd make it pretty light because that's one of the things, if you make it too heavy, then the ink will sink through and contemporary inks to the 1857 rarely sunk through the paper. They were vegetable based, not oil based. They had a high viscosity. They sat on the top of the stamp. They didn't soak through the stamp. So you got to watch out. If you hit it too hard, the ink will go through and everybody will say, I know this isn't 1857 ink because I can see it from the back of the stamp. Well, also 1857 ink fluoresces different than modern inks. Oh, yeah, as soon as you put... Because modern, yeah. modern, modern inks have lots of modern chemicals that didn't exist in the, at the time. Oh, yeah. If you put this U.S. number two under uh, UV light, it, it, there's no way that it would show the same way. It would be a total... I, I believe that overall they have green tints, the uh, inkjet and the laser jet inks. They tend to be greenish. And I don't know what an actual U.S. number two fluoresces as, but probably not green. Yes, but think of what a nice thing it would do to put it in with a large lot to increase its catalog value. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the other thing you probably want to do is introduce a small fault, like a little corner crease or something like that. Oh, yeah, if it looks too good, yeah. yeah. Or Or you could apply it onto a small piece. Not a whole cover, but a small piece of a cover. Just so there's like it was a cutout. Uh, so somebody would look at it and go, oh, this has really big margins. I oh, know it doesn't. It's on a piece. And then they wouldn't even look at, yeah, this is, yeah, smart move. Yeah. yeah. Yes. We're, the, the, the one thing about experts is that we can be as nefarious as, as, <laughs> as, the, as the fakers. Okay. Well, here's a tough one. And I, I have here C3A, but let's not do a C3A because we're talking about inkjets. Um, what's the two cent uh, inverted center? Uh, two, the inverted train. Two ninety five A. Two ninety five A. The uh, Pan American inverted train. And I actually was wondering if you could fake one of these, and I actually pulled it off. What I did was I took a very very fine grade of sandpaper, and I rubbed the center of the two center, so that the train was pretty much gone. I couldn't get rid of the entire train, but I got rid of enough of it. And I did this, and I'll explain why in a second. I did this to about 10 stamps. And then I put them through the laser printer, and I printed another train on top of it. And the reason why I did it to 10 stamps is because it was hard to get it to line up. You know, I had to get it into the center so that it covered up the black from the prior one. But eventually, you know, I did it, and 
uh, the paper moves around a little bit. You know, you're, if you're off by 10 millimeters, you know, it's obvious that it's a fake. So you need to get it well centered. But after about 10 tries, I finally got it to go through. And uh, it looked convincing. Of course, that one, the big one was you dip it. And there's a big, huge, giant, thin spot right. in the middle of it. <laughs> but it looked pretty good from the front. Yeah. And if you off-center the vignette a little bit, then it looks genuine because you think, oh, well, they, they didn't cut out the center and just invert it because there's ink on top of the, uh, of the, of the uh, black, or some black ink on top of the red ink. Yeah. I might have suggested that you fill the white paper back in where you thinned it before you then printed it over. Yeah, that would be a smarter move, yeah. Put some extra layering in there to try to hide the thin so, spot. So, yeah. Yes, there's enough. Create some pulp from another stamp. Right. Yeah. You're not dealing with an expensive stamp. No, yeah. You, yeah, that would have been a nicer touch. Think of, think of, how, think of what a collector might say after they found that in a large lot. Yeah. Well, we had a C3A come in. And the reason why I did it to that two-cent stamp is that here at PSE, this was when we were in Santa Ana, we got a C3A come in. And it came from a um, foreign country that uh, rhymes with China. <laughs> and, you know, we go, all these are known. This is coming from, you know, a country which is kind of well known for having, you know, sort of loose printing techniques, let's say. But it was the nicest, the, the most impressive C3A fake I had ever seen. It was good. And what they had done was they thinned out, just like I did with the paper, but then they took another stamp and they put it in there and pressed it. It was mint and the gum was still good. So they pressed it without destroying the gum. It was a really, really good job. Could you tell the difference in the layers? Yeah, as soon as you dipped it, it was pretty obvious. But it, it wasn't like really standout obvious. It dried differently, and it had some shadowing around it. And of course, it's a C3A. The number one thing you're going to look at is the airplane. So the place where you are going to be staring the most is where there was a subtle difference and you just said, ah, I see what they did. I had the privilege of knowing Clifford Cole, a very important customer and uh, collector from the Atlanta area. And Cliff was the guy who was the first person who plated the whole sheet. Um, and that's, it was because of his work and a couple other people's that the McCoy copies were identified from the oh, 1954 yeah. robbery. I guess that's when, they, when the McCoy block was lost. Yeah. And the fact that they had been altered, but you can't alter the position dots. Yeah. Yep. And Cliff was very, very proud of that. He was, um, he was a, he was a, he was a wonderful collector, and uh, and uh, but I, I assume that uh, that this fake didn't have anything. It would, it just wouldn't plate, right? Yeah. Well, that's the thing. You turn it over, and it's like. This is not a plated example. It was also incredibly well-centered. So for people who don't know, there's only one row of the C3A, which is well-centered. And all those stamps are known. 
So this stamp, you know, unless this sheet had an 11th mystery row, <laughs> you know, out of ten, instead of 10 rows, it had 11 for some reason, uh, the stamp just couldn't exist. Did, did somebody, somebody cleverly number the stamp? Nope, they didn't number this uh, or anything. They, I don't think they knew enough to number it. They knew enough to fake it, but they didn't know enough to number it. Okay, here's a tough one. How would we fake uh, number 596, the one-cent uh, rotary press uh, coil waste? Well, you'd start with a, um, with, uh, a printing a, a Kansas um, uh, pre-cancel over it. Okay, because <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's 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 your go-to. Yep, and that would be easy with the ink jet. Right. I probably would would take the take a coil stamp, a rotary press coil stamp as the basic thing, and then reback it and reperf it, and then add the fake Kansas City pre-cancel to it. I think that that would probably hit the hit the uh, hit the measurements pretty closely. Yeah. So, <laughs> take an actual coil stamp that is rotary press right thin it thin it down and then put it on to add it to another piece of paper which was which, which had the right perforations in the sizing and then put a fake pre-cancel on it i don't know if i don't know if i could get the thicknesses all correct right but and what about the color of the ink well you'd have to find the stamp that yeah, it matches I, the I correct think, color i think that i think in the coils in the coil singles and the, the millions that were printed and the millions i've seen I think I could find something that would be pretty darn close yeah. in that darker in that darker rich green. The other thing that would also enhance it would be to um, give it some small faults, as you suggested, because half of the 596s, I mean, um, the first one that was ever discovered I've seen, and it has a mouse bite out on it, it's missing, <laughs> a, missing a small piece, but it's absolutely real. Uh, remember, 596 was originally considered a subtype of 594. Yeah. It, it only it, it it really didn't it didn't really surface on its own until really the late fifties. Um, the five ninety fours were discovered in thirty seven, I guess, and thirty six or thirty seven. I know that uh, Kelly Stryker, who was later the um, the curator of the Philatelic Foundation, was involved in that because he used to talk about that. And uh, is it's always it's always fun to talk to somebody who's actually was part of finding something. Yeah. And they're finding new things out of, out in Indiana also, just like the 596. They're finding uh, there have been uh, at least a couple of covers, which we think are 316s, that have been... Uh, nope. That we know that since they were... We knew, know when they were used. We know how they were applied. But I know of at least a couple now that have actually come through. I know that uh, we certified one, and I know that the Philatelic Foundation, I think, has certified one. So there is... So out in, out in the... Uh, out in the flat, out in the beautiful parts parts of Indiana, there there's treasure to be found. Yep. Okay, here's one that I've been thinking about. How about a six thirteen? Because this is a black stamp. We can print one of these. And I was thinking, you know how I would fake a six thirteen? This is the uh, two cent Harding stamp mm -hmm. uh, that was issued nineteen uh, twenty. Six, I believe it was. 23. 23. 1923, two-cent black harding stamp. Rotary press. Rotary press. I would take a flat plate stamp, and I would just use black ink to draw and thicken the frame lines. Because then a person would measure it, 
and it would measure correctly. And they'd say, oh my goodness, look at this. This is a rotary print stamp. Now, the gum wouldn't be correct. So I would make it a used stamp. I'd soak the gum off and add a cancel to it. And uh, I would increase the size of the frame lines so that it would match the measurements. You'd have to run the stamp through the through a washing machine or something in, in inside of a pair of pants because you need to rough up the ink because flat plate uh, ink looks really really fine. Yes, that whereas the rotary press is is is, uh, is is kind of you know. Yeah, that's a good point. So rough. I might instead of that, I might actually take I might take a a six twelve. Which is rotary press. It's actually rotary press, yeah. Right, and do something like that. And uh, I might, uh, I'm, I don't know, maybe I'd take an image of it because that would be the right size. And, and since it's black, I would just print it. And then it just had fake perforations and a fake cancel. Well, you wouldn't actually have to add fake perforations. You could find another stamp and bleach off the image. Black ink is very tough to remove. No, 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 but you, no, but you could grab one of, it, like the uh, six cent stamp, mm-hmm. which is printed in orange. Mm-hmm. And you could, or the, uh, yeah, I guess the nine cent is light enough, but you could get that image lightened so much that when you printed the other one on top of it, you wouldn't be able to see it. And I mean, then you wouldn't have to worry about the perforations. Well, I, I'm well. The one thing I'm worried about is is that how much can I do on Photoshop to make it really a good image, you know, a cleanup image. Yeah, and, then, yeah. and and make it really convincing. And also, and also, you don't want an unused copy because I don't know of a single unused copy where the gum is in the unused copies. Almost invariably, the gum is disturbed. Yeah, but uh, if you remove like either a six cent or a nine cent. Or the eight cent. You know, there's a bunch of stamps that you could probably remove the image from. Um, you could have good rotary press gum. That would be interesting. What, hmm. what an evil thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that would give it away. First of all, you got the big, huge problem of inkjet ink not matching at all 1923 ink. Second thing, you have a problem of it's not engraved. It's going to be laser jetted. So you've got two huge hurdles there to get past the experts. The third thing is, you know, can you remove the image enough so that you can print over the top of it? I'll bet you you probably can. I think that's the least of your problem. Yeah. I, 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 you just have to find which ink is most vulnerable. Yeah. It might even be a color you didn't think of, but that you use the same techniques to remove the ink and one will one will work. Yeah. Cuz the design, the uh framework is the same on all the stamps. So the only thing the only way that you would really get caught from the printing of it is that Harding's head won't quite match up with let's say Grant's head or something like that. You know, you'd have that sort of a problem. But you could probably, if you didn't just like draw in the frame line and make it bigger so it measured and everybody goes, oh, look at this. And then, of course, you detect the difference in the ink. Um, a, a, heavy cancel, a heavy cancel would be a good solution against being able to tell between um, how it was printed. You could just say, oh, it's heavily canceled. 
like it was used on a package or something like that. It got yeah, but block, you would have to have cancel. a massive cancel over the top of it. I mean, it would have to obliterate the stamp. I guess you could do that, though. Well, we know that uh, during the time of the 480, in the, in, the 19, in the 1914 to 1918 period in Chicago, they sent out a lot. They sent a lot, a lot of brochures, and they used private vending stamps. So if a cover went through and it hadn't been canceled, they didn't. They didn't draw it in pencil or in felt pen like they do today. Yeah. They just used a, They used like a blot, and it, yeah. would, it would literally blot the whole stamp. Yeah. So what's a use six thirteen sell for? I know a five ninety. A use five ninety six is about fifty thousand dollars now. Well, I just got my new 19, uh, 2022 catalog. Oh, yeah, Scott's oh, catalog. The thing you got to do is you've got to place it in a really old brownish um, glassine envelope. And then <laughs> on the front of the envelope, on front of that glassine, you write the word keep and then underline <laughs> and then put that in a, in a large lot. So it now catalogs uh, in fine condition $35,000. Okay, 596 uh, five ninety six catalogs, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. So we're up to two eighty five and a C three A. Four hundred fifty thousand. So uh, we're up to six hundred and fifty thousand dollars. We'll we'll throw in the U.S. number two uh, as a bonus. If we had a fake C613, a fake 596, and a fake C3A, and a fake US number two, here's the $99 question. What would they be worth? They would be worth more than, um, than the money that you put into faking it, I'll bet. I'll bet you you're probably right. But, you know, as space fillers... Because I know people who have bought fake C3As paying 50 75 bucks for them just to fill the spot. Sure. And they have nice-looking ones. I'll bet you you got a couple hundred bucks worth of stamps. Yeah. Well, 295A that we also talked about, Cat's $85,000 now. Oh, man, can't forget that one. So... All I know, all I know, is that uh, we certain we certainly sell people sell all kinds of uh, the fake experimental coils that catalog a fortune, and they can sell them for twenty five or thirty dollars, and people add them all the time because people want something in the space. Yeah. So what basically we're I think we're alluding to is that there is a value here, and if there's a value, you got to watch out for it. Yeah, and if you've uh Got a son or a daughter that you can't stand. Just uh, put those in your album and then will it to them. And, uh, you know, it's sort of a delayed, you know. I have a horror story. that it, This sort of kind of broke up a family. And that uh, a person died and I forget how it was related. I think it was like an uncle. And so they inherited the uncle's stamp collection. And it wasn't noted or anything. And it sat with one of the siblings. The other siblings then remember distinctly that that uncle had a C3A. 
and they always blamed the other person for stealing it. And they like hated him for it because they stole this $400,000 stamp, but could never prove it. And of course, the reason they never proved it is the guy never had a C3A. He might have had a C3 and they got it confused. Or he had the $2 reissue, you know, right. something like that. But uh, that was one where I just remember that everybody hated this one sibling because they stole that C3A from the uncle's collection. And that one, you know, I, I told him, you know, guaranteed 100% he didn't have it. You know, the, you're hating the guy for the wrong reasons. You know, he may be... Who knows? He may be a really bad person, but he's not a bad person because of this. Hmm. Anyway, any other stamps we want to uh, discuss? No, then. I, 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 the, the one thing I would mention is, is that all overprinted stamps are going to be a subject to this kind of attack. Oh, yeah. Um, I can think of a number of U.S.-related items, like the uh, 1945 Victory overprints from the Philippines are going to be one of these days. We're starting to see some new kinds of fakes like that, laser, laser jet, um, not not an inkjet. And then we're also seeing uh, we're seeing some Kansas-Nebraska counterfeits that are done that this way. And Kansas-Nebraska overprints have been faked for. A couple, what, two or three generations? I don't know how many generations they go back, but they've been faked for a long time, and now they're just finding a different way to fake them. The greatest, pro the greatest problem in counterfeit and overprints is on stamps that were issued that the counterfeits were, used, were made and used at exactly the same time. The, the, uh, the two basic, biggest examples are the 1904 first issue of Panama Canal, which were on Panamanian stamps. Um, a gentleman in 1986, a dealer uh, named Derek Bothamley, came up to me um, at that show and said, who is this guy Chang, and I, who doesn't know anything about it? Because his, his father or grandfather had bought these stamps literally from the Canal Zone in 1904, and he, and he said, how can they be counterfeited? And I pointed out that they made counterfeits at the same time and they're actually known used on cover and they're still counterfeit. Mm. And then the other issue, the other issue that is an American possession but is more collected by people who collect Spanish issues is the 1898 Puerto Principe issue of Cuba. And the problem with that is the dealer who was supplying the New York dealer with genuine stamps ran out of genuine stamps. And so he started to make counterfeits on his own. So I actually have I actually have some mail uh, addressed from the counterfeiter. I have, I have I have a an American postal card used at that time sent to the sent to the New York dealer and discussing about what was available at the time. <laughs> wow. And so those are actually that those are stamps that always have to be sold or purchased with a certificate of authenticity. Yeah. And not just a certificate from anybody, but somebody who actually knows something. Well, you know, of course we're going to plug PSE when, as much as possible because that's where we work. But realistically, and I have said this, if you are going to spend, and I put the number at $300, if you're going to spend more than $300 for a stamp, it should have a certificate 
from someone. You know, if you don't like PSE because we do grading or because we're on the internet or because we do a lousy podcast, you know, that's fine. But use somebody. Yeah, because it's not it's not always expensive stamps that that get counterfeited. I I ran across a um, uh, the five cent uh, Hawaii overprint uh, six forty eight that was overprinted with a rubber stamp. Yep, and that's not an expensive stamp. Nope, but it was faked. Like like we were talking about with reperfing, uh, you know, everybody goes, oh well, it's a cheap stamp. Why would anybody reperf it? And the answer is is because it takes like half a minute to reperf. And some of the most most commonly reperforated stamps or commonly created stamps are some of the are some of the uh, flat press coils. Yeah. Uh, 442, 444, 413, 412. Those are all relatively not that expensive, and yet there are the number of counterfeit copies outnumbers the number of genuine copies, probably eight to ten to one, if not higher. Yep. Well, thank you everybody for listening. We need your help. Nothing on the internet is free, including our phone and internet connections. So you can support the podcast by joining the Stamp Show Here Today Club. The cost is $10 for a lifetime membership. Please include your APS member number as we are an APS-affiliated club. Your support is greatly appreciated. Our brand new spanking address is 5965 Harrison Drive, Suite 6 in Las Vegas, Nevada, 89120. You left out the word glorious. Fabulous. <laughs> because you don't put that on the letter. Oh. Well, you could. You could, yeah. You could, yeah. Well, kids, that's all the time we have for today. I'd like to thank Sideshow Mel, Corporal Punishment, Tina Ballerina, oh, and from Not Landing, Miss Donna Mills. Oh, she was a sport. We've had lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of fun, but now the time has come to go. If this still clown was found dead in his bed tomorrow, I'd be in heaven still doing this show. See you some other time! You have been listening to Stamp Show here today, seeking to advance all levels of the stamp collecting hobby through news, information, and collecting advice. Visit us at stampshowheretoday.com to listen to the show, view images of the items we are talking about, and read the show notes. You can also continue the conversation on Facebook at Stamp Show Here Today and on Twitter at Stamp Show HT. If you have questions or comments about the show or have any topics you would like us to discuss, you can email us at stampshowheretoday at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and as always, keep collecting. Stamp collecting happens when we dream together.